Um, that's a sermon right there. I mean, it really is. I remember the first time I saw that in a movie. Granted, this was uh, about this time of year, 1863, uh, when that took place. Think about this, though. 228 years ago, July 4th, 1776, France was ruled by a king, China was ruled by an emperor, Russia by an empress, Great Britain by a, was a constitutional monarchy, Japan was ruled by a shogun, but there was this tiny little colony of 13 smaller states on the eastern coast, eastern coast of North America that had just begun its storied existence. And this is what's interesting to me. Today, 228 years later, there is only one country that has the same form of government that it had 228 years ago. And that's the United States of America. Phenomenal when you think about that. Just phenomenal. And they call this an experiment. (laughs) Or they call those other places. Um, Sorry, I get a little American chauvinistic here. I'm not careful. But... um, the influence, of course, has been unmatched. Freedom. And, you know, and when, you think about, when you think about the price, I just want to talk about this just for a moment. When you think about the price that was paid for us to have our freedom, it's pretty amazing. This is my Father's Day present that I'm almost through with, that my daughter and my esteemed history, uh, her esteemed history teaching husband got me. Um, 1776. I highly recommend it. It's just, it's a, and some of you have seen it. It's a, a new book by McCullough, who's one of my favorite authors. Let me read something to you out of here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, it's not story hour, but I'm gonna read to you one thing about this whole thing. This also happened in 1776. It was actually in August, later on in 1776. And it looked like General Washington, our next, our first president, and, and, and the guys were, were dead. They were, they were, Basically, on the very tip of Brooklyn, you can see it. I've gone by it many times, particularly when you take a water taxi over into the lower downtown area. You see those heights, those, those, those rocks and those cliffs there. That's Brooklyn Heights. That's where they were with 9,000 troops. Behind them would soon be a whole, just a, what they say was the largest display of naval force ever in the history of the world at that time. In front of them on Long Island was the British troops, somewhere in the area of 20 or more thousand of them. George and the boys had, didn't really have much of a hope, and he knew he had to do one thing, and he had, part of his army was still in lower downtown New York. He knew he had to get his army back together, he had to retreat from Brooklyn. There was no way to retreat, you know. For history's sake, this was before the Brooklyn Bridge, okay? Um, and there wasn't any, you know, all the taxis that they had then were rowboats. So under a top secret veil, he got he got all everybody in New York on, on Manhattan Island, which was divided half and half between loyalists to the monarchy as well as the other half wanting independence. He got all of them together uh, over a couple of days, and he said, "Pick us up right over here at Brooklyn Heights." And let me tell you what happened: uh, the ferry landing and all the time, all this time, troops and supplies and artillery were being loaded aboard one boat after another as quickly as human possible and sent on their way. Everyone worked furiously. A Connecticut soldier manning one of the boats would remember making would remember making 11 crossings in the course of one night. It's about a mile. And that's, that's rowing the boat, folks. Don't forget about that. 
Just as daybreak, just excuse me, at daybreak, a heavy fog settled in over the whole of Brooklyn. Incredibly. The circumstances were, 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 were tough. Whether it be luck, according to McCullough here, providence or the hand of God, something intervened because it's, it's daybreak. He hasn't got the army moved yet. He's got half of them moved, and he's got the British army on the other side. It doesn't look good. Just as the day broke, heavy fog began to settle in over the whole of Brooklyn, concealing everything no less than had the night. It was a fog so thick, remembered a soldier, that one, quote, could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. Even with the sun up, the fog remained as dense as ever, while over on the New York side of the river, there was no fog at all. And at long last, the rear guard and some of the troops at Fort Sterling were summoned. They were in in Brooklyn. It may be supposed we did not linger, one writer wrote. One officer estimated that it was seven in the morning, perhaps a little later, when he and his men landed in New York. And in less than an hour after that, the fog having dispersed, the enemy was visible on the shore that we had left behind, Brooklyn Heights. In a single night, a single night, they started at 11 p.m., 9,000 troops had escaped across the river. Not a life was lost. Isn't that an amazing story? Every time I go through that area, I get chills thinking about that. And I had the opportunity to take my grandkids and showed them where Brooklyn Heights and all the problems that George Washington was up against. Here's the thing, folks, that I want you to see. What people go through for freedom. One of the things that my reading has taught me, it was eight years. You know, the, the Revolutionary War or the War for Independence, depending on what you want to call it, eight years. And I mean, it was, it was brutal. It wasn't romantic. And it was, it was tough. Even today, we see countries all across the world who are not free, seeking freedom. When you read the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's something inherent in mankind that causes him to long to desire freedom. Not just Americans. The natural inclination, obviously, is to seek that kind of freedom in a country where, where one lives. As great as that is, and I've taken these moments to set this up because I want you to understand, I don't take my freedom for granted one moment. One moment I don't. I'm so thankful for it. And if you travel, those of us who've traveled around and particularly been in those countries, even some countries in other parts of the world who are supposed to be free countries, then you realize they don't have freedom makes you so much more grateful for where we live. But even in that, and this is where I want you to to be thinking along with me, even in that, we have that inclination. We want freedom. We want freedom. And so oftentimes we, we look for it in the place where we live, but that's still not the answer for the freedom seeking heart. Because even there, even in a country like ours, there are a lot of people who aren't free. There are millions of people, some may be here this morning, who are just totally enslaved to all kinds of stuff. And you can fill in the blank on stuff. I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that, as I said, under the guise of not, or at least under the heading of not taking for granted a moment the freedom that we have, the freedom that many 
of you here have done your part, so to speak, uh, to make that possible. So let's talk about true freedom, though. Not just in terms of in this country or in some other country. Let's talk about true freedom and what it means. What does that mean, Rich, when you say, okay, you believe in freedom, but there are millions of people in this country, maybe even in our, here in the Summit Opera House, who don't really have freedom today. Let's talk, let's talk about enslavements and the things that, that hold us back and the things that can really hurt and the things that can do all kinds of things to people and cause damage. I want to show you what I call true freedom and all that it means. All right? This came from a series called Remodeling. We did, I did this back in the uh, spring of, of 03. Okay? In this whole series of, of remodeling. And, and one of the points, that was, a, that was a while ago, so I've obviously... I forgot everything I said. I looked at my notes, and sometimes you look at your notes back, you know, that long ago, and you're like, what did that mean by that? So the, the good thing about that is um, this is pretty fresh to me. And, of course, I could talk about this all the time because this is, really, this is really important to me as a person who loves his freedom, not just the freedom I have in this country, but other kinds of freedom that I want to talk to you about now. I call it the great escape from, from walls, ruts, rituals, and I had a weak moment here, and I said stupid rules. But anyway, you get the point, right? I would have. Now that that was, you know, two years ago, now that I've matured, I probably wouldn't use that stupid rules thing. But anyway, we did. <laughs> True freedom and all that it means. Three things. I want you to think through these. The first one is this. Freedom from past sins and mistakes. I love this point. And I just want to take you to the Bible. Just show you what the Bible says, because this is, this is just, it doesn't get any better. It's from the New Living Trans- Translation. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Watch this. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it, destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them. On the cross of Christ. I like that phrase. He canceled, he canceled out the record of charges against us. If we could speak of this in a metaphorical way or an allegory type of way, it's like when Jesus went to the cross, what happened to my sins is that in, in a sense, they were written down and nailed to the cross, paid in full by Jesus. That's, that's what forgiveness is. All of my sins. Not part of them, not some of them, not all of them that had been come, that had been committed up until that point when I became a person of faith, and then and then the rest of them you have to do some other kind of restitution for, or some kind of penance, or whatever whatever you want to call it. All of our sins, we're free from that. Now, you may not fully understand that, and sometimes we live in a way that we, we still live with the the shame and. In some cases, the condemnation that comes over some things that we have been a part of in, in years past, or in some cases, months past, or in some cases, maybe just a few days past. But all I want you to see is forgiveness is total and it is complete. And that comes through Christ. That's the purpose of the cross. I was talking to a guy not, not too many, not too long ago. And we were talking about some things that, that just some things that he had been a part of that were we would call them sin or wrong according to the Bible and some really damaging things actually of people and so forth and he just he was just kind of thinking about that and 
feeling really some some shame and some you know repentance and I finally said, you know, hey, just just stop for a minute. He said, I said, that's why Jesus came. To forgive you and to forgive me. And he says, well, you know, I got baggage. I said, we all got baggage. What are you talking about? Some of us, you know, it's just a matter of whether it's a U-Haul trailer or a big truck. Who knows? But uh, that's why Jesus came. Freedom from past sins and mistakes. Now, I want to show you the second thing because it goes along with the first thing. Not only that, but, but also... Freedom means freedom from past sins and mistakes, but also freedom from condemnation. Now, this is huge. I want to read this next passage to you. It comes from the same area of the Bible, Colossians again. But I'm going to read this to you in a a paraphrase, the message. Some of you who come regularly know I quote from this often because I just like the way it reads. It's a good paraphrase. Look what he says. So, don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services, or holy days. Oh, wow. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Watch this. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you, that you join their obsession with angels and that you, you seek out visions. They're a lot of hot air. That's all they are. I wish I would written this. I love that. (laughs) They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head. We are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as He nourishes us. That's freedom from condemnation, folks. That's from the Bible. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty plain. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The freedom that we can experience when we come into a relationship with God is not only freedom from sin and past mistakes, but it's freedom from condemnation. Furthermore, according to the Bible, people who try to put that stuff on you, you don't have to listen to them. I don't care if they're standing in front of a church or if they're your mother or your father or or mate or whoever it is. God says there's no place for that. There's just no place for that. Now, let me just put a little caveat in here. That doesn't mean that there might not be times when you or I feel some condemnation. Now, hopefully, those times that that happens will come because you've done something you really shouldn't have done. And you're feeling that condemnation, quote-unquote, guilt. That's a healthy thing in that context, in this way. In this way. Please stick with me on this. I'm not saying guilt is healthy. It's healthy in this sense. That's a good time for me just to stop right there. And I've done this more times than you can possibly imagine. Just say, God, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. In some cases, I can't believe I just had those thoughts. Thank you for the forgiveness that you provided for me in Jesus. That's good. That's good condemnation. Then you move on. I play golf with these guys that are really good, and they're here, and they're, they, they bug me because they're really good, and I'm not that good. And, um, and the other day we were playing, and, and, uh, and there's one guy down here, I'm not going to say where he is, but he's sitting toward the front over here on my left. And uh, he's like a five handicap, which means, for those of you who don't understand golf, it means that, it, that he averages about five over par, which is very, very good, okay? I average about 18 over par, so that gives you some, some, some clue. And I hit a bad play with him, and I hit a bad shot. And they, 
He's just very gracious to me. I hit a bad shot, and I was like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe, I know, I can't believe I came up and came under and put the ball, you know, I had to say for God, it went so high, and, and it was just, you would not understand that if you're not a golfer, I'm sorry, but anyway, you hit the ball real high, say for God, you know, get it, never mind. Anyway, um, insider language there for golfers. Take it from me, it was a bad shot. So I'm walking down the fairway, and I'm just sort of muttering, I'm not cursing at this point, not that I haven't, but, but, but I'm just like, I can't believe I did. I can't believe I did. And he said, hey, it's over. Forget it. Let's start over again. You know, now I'll hit the next shot. That's good advice. And sometimes we have to think about that on things more than a miffed drive off a tee. You did that. You can't believe you did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. And God says, okay, you're forgiven. Now move on. It's over. It's over. That's such a great lesson for us, isn't it? I mean, that is, that is just that's freedom from condemnation. That's, that's what he's telling us here. He says, you know, we grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. That's true freedom, folks. Third thing I want you to see. Freedom from past sins and mistakes, freedom from condemnation, freedom from manipulation. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 20. You have died with Christ. If you come to Christ, you've died with Christ, figuratively speaking. He has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? One, One Bible puts it that way. Such as, don't handle, don't eat, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teaching about things that are gone as soon as you use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, humility, and severe bodily discipline. But they have no effect. They have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. All I want to say to that is, hear, hear. I've I've had rules before. And I've known people who've had a lot of... I had a friend, I had a friend, maybe I've told you this story before. That's the great thing about turning 55 two weeks ago, and that is you can tell stories over and over again, and I'm always entertained by them. You may get a little tired of them, but hey, <laughs> deal with it, okay? <laughs> but I, 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 I had a friend, seriously, I had a friend um, who went to a very... How do I say this? Without, I don't want to say what it is, because I don't want to cast... Uh, aspersions on the institution, but a very strong, well-known, quote-unquote, Christian-type college where they had rules for everything. Not just how you can dress, but, you know, TV shows, movies. I think the movies were like PG at that time. They didn't have PG-13, or maybe they did. But anyway, you couldn't go to R-rated movies. You know, they had rules for everything. Year and a half, he was at the top of the class. Never forget his story. He had a nervous breakdown. He said, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. That's what rules will do to you. I don't mean this I don't mean this in a funny way. It'll drive you nuts. It really will. That's why we have some of the issues that we have in with friends and churches and religious movements and so forth today. 
Freedom from manipulation. And, and that's the thing that, that Jesus says here. He says, they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. It was actually written by the Apostle Paul, but that's the, the point here. Here's what I want you to see. Two, two, two-fold thing to this that I want you to see. Number one, it's wrong to manipulate. Please understand that. It's wrong to manipulate. Whether you want to use fear, whether you want to use guilt, whether you want to use condemnation, whether you want to use something else in your marriage or, or, or with your children, it's wrong to manipulate. Nothing wrong with having you know, discipline in your home. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have standards. I'm not saying that. Is we make those standards equivalent to becoming a quote-unquote good little Christian boy or girl. That's when it becomes wrong. It's wrong to manipulate. And let me just add something else to that. And I want you to listen to this carefully. It's wrong to allow yourself to be manipulated. Please don't miss that. Because you can come in and you can talk to me about how bad your mother was or your father was or, or your mate is or ex-mate or whatever the case may be and, and how they manipulated you and how bad that was. And I'm going to say, why are you allowing it? Because you see, you, 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 still, you still have a will. You still have, you have the ability to say, I'm not going to look that. You're not going to treat me like that. And you know, in the course of a marriage, sometimes my wife and I both have said that to each other a time or two in our 30 plus years of marriage. I, I'm not going to let you treat me like that. I'm not going to let you treat me. That, don't misunderstand. That's not a common occurrence. But sometimes that has to happen in any relationship. Because we all have the tendency at times to desire to manipulate something or someone in some way. And, and God, even God doesn't do that. That's what gets me about this. Even God doesn't do that. Furthermore, He condemns it. And that those of us sometimes in quote-unquote christian circles do that stuff, and it just drives me crazy. Um, freedom from manipulation. Freedom from manipulation. It's wrong to manipulate. It's wrong to allow yourself to be manipulated. I want to, I want to give you three or four things here. And short message, long wrap-up. Hang on to this, okay? This won't take too long. Um, there they are. True freedom is, is, is what? Freedom from the past sins and mistakes, freedom from condemnation, freedom from manipulation. Therefore, let me do the wrap-up here. And this is just, I'm just going to talk to you about this. This is not on PowerPoint. Real simple. God doesn't want you stuck in the past. Okay? God doesn't want you stuck in the past. He doesn't want you stuck. I don't, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. And some of us, you know, we have a record, so to speak. And some of us, you know, the truth is we all have a record. It just matter, no matter whether people know it or not. Maybe yours is filled with all kinds of, of activities that would not be approved by others and certainly not God. Maybe it's just a thought life that is just littered with all kinds of garbage. Maybe it's things that, that, that people won't ever probably find out. The secrecy of, of maybe the Internet or, or, or some other kind of thing. The issue point that I want you to get is this. God doesn't want you stuck in the past. He doesn't want you stuck on whatever it is you did wrong last year, last decade, or last week. The Bible is so clear about that. That's just not even, that's not even controversial. It's not even a question about that. The Bible is so clear about that. Number two, God doesn't want you following some formula that's a substitute for a relationship with Him. And see, that's the danger in all this stuff. You think, well, you're just not a rule guy, Rich. Well, I'm not. Thank God I'm not. But, but besides that, here's the real problem with rules. And that is, oftentimes, dear, sincere, well-meaning people who, who, are, who are followers of Christ, they start substituting that whole formula thing, whatever it is. Maybe it's a bunch of do-nots. Maybe it's a bunch of do's. Maybe it's something else. 
you know, maybe it's you know, how you dress or how you look or whatever it happens to be. They start substituting that for what God really desires from all of us, which is a relationship with Him. So that's, that's the other thing about this. Don't miss that. God doesn't want you stuck in the past. He doesn't want you following some formula that's a substitute for Him. And listen, God doesn't want guilt-induced joy suckers bringing you down, okay? He does, I'm, I'm serious about that. I love that. God doesn't want some guilt-induced joy sucker bringing you down. That's what they are. Sometimes they're in churches. Sometimes they're in families. I guess all of them are in families, aren't they? Um, just hard to imagine that. Um, sometimes they're you know, in, in different places and teaching or whatever it happens to be. God doesn't want that. And you need to stop. And you need to do two things. Number one, I'm not going to be that. Nor am I going to allow that done to me. Take some, take some fortitude sometimes. And I'm serious about that. It really does. It's being, you know, and here's the thing. There are people, you know, I, I, as I started off talking about our country and how grateful I am, and, and I, meant, I mean all of that. But even in the great country, greatest country in the, on the face of the earth like ours, I say that with no apologies to my friends here who are from Great Britain, but we love you. Um, we had to dump you, but we love you. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that we have freedom here. I am burdened by the fact that there are a lot of folks who live in this great free country who will never experience freedom. And they're enslaved. What are they enslaved to? Well, we normally think of, well, they're enslaved to maybe some chemical dependency. Maybe that. Maybe they're enslaved to some people. Maybe they're... Maybe they're enslaved to pleasing people. Maybe they're enslaved to harmful habits that have developed in their lives and they can't break away. See, the message that I want you to understand, that I want you to get from this is, God doesn't want you bound down by all of that. Here's what God wants. Let me give it to you very simple. God wants you to experience the freedom, the vibrancy, the joy the fulfillment of a relationship with your Creator. That's why Jesus came. I hope you will think about that on the 4th of July as we celebrate independence. That as we have it in this country, we can, as followers of Christ, have the freedom to be able to just have a a vibrant, fulfilling relationship with our God through Christ. That we don't have to be Bound down by chains. Chains that bind us down, whether those be sinful habits, whether those be destructive habits, whether those be, you know, thought patterns that I just can't seem to break, whether that be people around me that continue to pull me down. We can break those chains by God's power and by God's grace. That's freedom. That's real freedom. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful that we can think through these things that we can come to you and understand what freedom really is. We thank you, Lord, that we have freedom, that we live in a free land. How great that is. But help us, Lord, to let that be a stimulus to realize we don't have to be enslaved to stuff. We don't have to be enslaved to, to patterns of wrong thinking, of patterns of habits that, that damage us and that damage others. And that by God, by your power, your God's power alone, we can rise above that as we come 
into a relationship with you through, through Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord, and, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.